Okay, uh, Revelation promises a blessing to the reader and the hearer. So I think without, at the risk of sounding a little wacky, uh, let's, let's go for the blessing right now and hear, hear the word of God. Now, I'm, I'm looking at uh, my chapter one of the book of Revelation, which at this point uh, has lots of uh, red and yellow and blue notes on it. And uh, so yours hopefully will come to look like this as well. I gave you this so that you could mark on it with impunity. OK, uh, you know, you don't have to do all that to your Bible, but get some markers that you like and, and go to town. Uh, so let's, let's read Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Now, as we start to read this, let me just point out to you, I'm looking at this uh, sheet of the text here. You know, this whole chapter is, is introductory. It's the beginning uh, of the last book of the Bible. And, and all of it, I'm, I'm telling you, as a teacher, Lord, give me wisdom because every single word is packed and it is rich, pulling all of these themes from the rest of the Bible. Friends, this is an exceedingly rich portion of Scripture. And I personally, it's really interesting to me that you are interested in this book. And I hope that, I don't know what, why you're interested in it, but I trust that the Lord will use your interest to draw you into the pages of this book and that you will never be the same. It's that kind of book. Uh, all of it is. All of the Bible is that way. But uh, per- particularly this book, uh, it's terrific. And it's a delight to study it. But wow, it's, uh, there's a lot in here. Uh, so anyway, we, we have these initial descriptors that this is revelation from God that was given to John, who wrote it down for the churches. And then John greets these churches in verses 4 and uh, really 4 and 5. And then he offers this praise to God in the second part of verse 5 and verse 6. I'll give you a little hint. When you're reading it, the best thing you can do as you read the Bible is build a little time to respond to God as you read the Bible. And when you find these bursts of praise, why don't you learn how to use those to praise God yourself? Uh, I mean, even kids volunteer for church choirs to sing Handel's Messiah not understanding, you know, a third of what they're entering into, but they squeak it out and do the best they can. And, and so can you. And so that by the end, when you get to chapter 22, maybe you'll be a, a really great praiser of God and begin to connect the dots between praising God and, and the deep sense of edification that comes into your own heart and life when you do that. Uh, it's great. And there's a praise in verses five and six. And then we have this uh, kind of a theme about Jesus Christ in verse seven. We have God himself speaking to us in verse eight. We'll come back to that as we look through uh, verses nine and following. All right. So in verse nine and following, we have this uh, introductory vision. And, and that's one of the cool things about this book is that 
you can see it with the eyes of your imagination. And this introductory vision, and we'll forget it, and I'll try to remember to remind us of it, but you know, this is the banner over this whole book. And there are themes here that are going to show up as we work our way through this book. All right. Now, uh, so chapter one, and again, we're always thinking about don't lose the forest for the trees or the limb on the tree or the bark on the limb on the tree. And it's hard not to do that. There's lots of details here that make us go, what? What's that all about? But to see the forest and not get lost in the trees for just a minute is one way to think about that is this. Three major characters are introduced for us here on this page, chapter one. We have John, the writer of this book. We have God who revealed this truth to John. And then we have the recipients of this book, seven real actual churches in Asia Minor in the first century, full of real people just like you, just like you, okay? 2,000 years ago, but just like us. All right, God, John, and the seven churches. All right, now let's read this. Verse nine, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's the word of God uh, for us this morning. 
All right, looking at this buff piece of paper here, again, just kind of pulling the camera back and looking at the parts of what we just read, we have, I don't know, what is it, two or three main headings here. Uh, first of all, we have John and the seven churches. We have John's situation, and then we have the commission to write. John was told to write this down. Then we have John's vision of the exalted Christ, which introduces his messages to the seven churches. We're all pretty familiar with Revelation chapter 2 and 3, although there's lots of things in chapter 2 and 3 in those messages that we don't understand. But what, what I want you to do every time you think about chapter 2 and 3, I want you to see this vision of Christ, which is the introduction to those messages. Uh, he's speaking to those churches, and John has this vision of Christ. Uh, then turn it on the backside, John has the vision, and then he responds to the vision. And then we have Christ's response to John, and Christ gives some words of assurance and interpretation, the emphasis being uh, seven churches, lampstands, and churches, and all that. Uh, all right, so that's what we have in front of us this morning. Uh, where to begin? Uh, let's see. Um, let me see where I made some notes here. Oh yeah, here it is. Okay, what I want you to get out of this chapter is I want your mind, as I said earlier, uh, I, want, I want your mind to be boggled. I want your brain to be on fire uh, based on what you see about Jesus Christ from this chapter. Uh, and I don't know how to, how to massage that into your thinking other than to say all, all of us have had opportunities and experiences to see things that took our breath away. We've all seen things that took our breath away. And I would encourage you when you see things that take your breath away, the sky, the rain, the wind, an animal, a plant, whatever it is that captures you, I would encourage you to stop and soak that in. Because being made in the image of God and, and being people who want to relate to God, we want to have the, the greatest sense of awe for God. And we don't often because it's abstract and it's, you know, it, it can be difficult. So use whatever takes your own breath away, whatever captures your own imagination, let that help you translate that feeling and response to, to God as you praise him and talk to him and wonder how he can come into your life and help you with the things that don't take your breath away, but knock your breath out. Okay, uh, and just just thinking about that, uh, there's a, a, a terrific writer. Uh, that's one of the things that takes my breath away is great writing. Uh, there's a lady whose name is Annie Dillard. Uh, she's a person of faith. I don't know if she's actually a Christian or not, but I think she might be. Uh, she wrote an award-winning book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Anybody ever heard of that book? 
Pilgrim at Tinker Creek? Okay, so I won't ask if you've read it. Uh, I think that book won a Pulitzer Prize. What this gal did, and she's got some kind of scientific background, she, I think, in Virginia, uh, cultivated the habit of walking down by a creek and just paying attention. And she is able to talk about what she saw and talk about her reflections of what she saw in a wonderful way. And I would recommend that book to you because even though it's long and you might not make it all the way through it with enjoyment, I don't think I did either, but that book really helped me see things differently, more deeply with appreciation. And I won't go into the details. There's lots of them in there. It's an exceedingly well-written book. I would recommend it to you. Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard. And she wonders at what she sees. And that's what I want you to do. Uh, we all see sun, sunsets, uh, even here in Memphis. Iowa's a great place to watch the sunset. Sometimes we have great sunsets here. Maybe you see the sunrise every once in a while. Take some time to just let yourself soak that up. Uh, so stop and look and, and be involved in wonder and awe. That is what this chapter uh, is designed to do for us. All right, uh, so let's, let's go through it. I'll make some comments about it. Again, if you have something you're thinking about or want to ask a question about, feel free to do so. All right, first of all, I, I said at the beginning that we're, we can learn some things about God. We can learn some things about John. And we can learn some things about the church uh, which is to say us. Uh, first of all, we, we look at John here. John talks about himself in different ways. Uh, first of all, he talks about his relationship with the churches that he's writing to. And notice in verse nine, he, he refers to himself in two ways. He refers to himself as a brother and a partner. All right. So there's a relationship there. And so you can say, whether this book, whether this book is alien and unfamiliar or whether this book is a personal treasure of yours, the guy that wrote it sees himself as your brother, your brother experiencing the same kind of things that you've experienced. We'll look at them here in just a moment. And he's also your partner, your companion. So you may feel lonely at times. Uh, you may be alone in, in ways that you tend to think about yourself but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you have brothers and sisters right here in this room. And uh, anyway, so John, John was aware of that. Your brother and partner. Now notice these three things that he says. He's describing what it is to be a Christian in verse 9. To be a Christian is to be in partnership, in fellowship, in relationship with people who are in Jesus Christ. And that's what he says here. I'm your brother and partner. You see the three things he says? What's the first thing that he says? We don't like this. Yeah, tribulation, trouble, okay? You can read about this. Uh, I wrote down chapter two, verses nine and 10, chapter seven and verse 14. He's gonna come back to this theme of tribulation, flipsis, uh, difficulty, all right? Now, you know, I guess I'm getting a little better, but I can't stand trouble and difficulty. I can't stand emotional pain. I can't stand stuff that makes me worry. I, I want to forget about that and just distract myself and ignore it. But the fact of the matter is bad things come. And I've, I've had episodes personally where I was personally suffering 
uh, and I've had, you know, disturbed spirit and a troubled heart over other people who were suffering. And that is common experience to Christians. Common experience. I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but uh, that's why we show up here to hear the word of God. That's why we go to grace groups so that we can share with other people who are dealing with life, just like you're dealing with life. John dealt with life. And the message of this book is designed to change your paradigm about how you deal with your life. Now, again, I'm wimpy as it comes. I haven't had a whole lot of affliction in my own life. Our daughter, I have done three funerals in the last 10 days. That's not affliction. Uh, I, I create some affliction for myself by, you know, obsessing over what I'm going to say and stuff like that. But uh, our daughter sang at the funeral yesterday for a Jeannie Thomas, personal friend of ours, Kathleen and mine. And Clara was reflecting on the way home. That's what funerals are designed to do is cause us to reflect, just like the, this Sunday school lesson cause us to reflect. And she said, you know, I haven't had anybody really close to me that died. And she hasn't, you know, 23 and bless the Lord. Thank the Lord. She hasn't had anybody like that. But guess what? Some of you have. And you know what? You don't have to tell yourself to be sad when people die. You just are. It is a reality that you cannot deny. It's an undeniable reality. It hits you like a freight train. It rips your heart out. It breaks it. It scars it. It keeps you up at night. It makes you feel numb. It makes you do wacky things, withdraw and all these other things. It it just, you can't help it. We live in a world, here's the point. We didn't make it. We can't control it. But there is somebody that did make it, and there is somebody that does control it. And if you are in Jesus, your trajectory and destiny is to be with the maker and controller of all there is. So John's just talking about this because he's talking about, remember, uh, John God and the seven churches, and you're, you're in there with, the, with those seven churches. These seven churches were heading for, you know, big trouble, uh, circumstantial difficulty. And John, and God through John, was fortifying them to live in the midst of that difficulty. And that's what he wants to do with you. That's a part of the purpose of this book is not to stimulate your own bizarre worries or fascinations about how the future is going to end and whether ISIS is part of the prophetic calendar of end times. That's what's so interesting to so many about this book. But this book is given to us to rest and trust and be strong because we know the sovereign creator of everything. And know that we're going to be with him. And it's going to be okay. That's what, that's what part of the message of this book. All right. John, uh, brother, partner. First of all, tribulation. Nobody likes that part. Uh, the kingdom. You see the second part? The kingdom that is in Jesus Christ. What's a... What's a do, you, do you see how every single... There's stuff packed into every single word here. Christ has a kingdom. The kingdoms of this world that, that, that we 
uh, vote for and establish or complain about or suffer under is not the ultimate kingdom. There's another kingdom. It's a kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the king of that kingdom. And the citizens of that kingdom regularly suffer and perish. Just like their savior. Just like the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. Just like the son of the eternal God who took on flesh, came into this world, was misunderstood, was rejected, and was ultimately killed by political authorities and religious authorities. Uh, and he, he laid his life down to, to inaugurate a kingdom that would never go away. Uh, so John is writing and reminding us of that, that in the midst of the What's that word? Uh, life comes and goes. What is that word? Well, that's, yeah, then there's a word for that. I can't think of it right now. But in the ebb and flow, it's something like ineptitudes, which is not it. But uh, ineptitude is what I'm, I, I'm a great uh, 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 d- demonstrator of that. Uh, th- there's this other kingdom. All right, now, let me say this before I forget. Uh, there are a couple of passages in the Old Testament that, uh, that you should really read and think about in order to gain a sense of appreciation for what you're reading here. Uh, do you remember I told you about when I read a Charles Dickens' novel and I wasn't getting anything out of it, or, or at least very little? I was really struggling with it, 19th century. And, uh, but then I got the DVD, the BBC production of the DVD, and I found on the DVD where I was in the novel, and it just opened the whole thing up to me, and I realized what was going on, the sarcasm and the, the social mores, and there was so much in there. Well, the same way, if, if you are not as familiar with your Bible, your Old Testament, as John, what John, now he's an expert, if you appreciate what he's doing, it makes it so much more significant. Well, okay, tell us then. That's what your job is. Okay, Uh, so in the book of Exodus, God reveals to Moses a pattern of the heavenly sanctuary. The heavenly sanctuary in in the book of Exodus. And Moses builds a model of the heavenly sanctuary. What's that model called? Yeah, the tabernacle, all right? Now, you know, what's like the, what's the biggest, best part of the tabernacle? Yeah, the Holy of Holies, all right? You know, there's the courtyards, but then there's that 15 15 high, 15 wide, 30 feet long, tinted structure, and inside there were, it was divided into half. Two cubes, 15, 15, 15, two cubes. There was the Holy of Holies. What's in there? Ark of the Covenant. Hey, the Ark of the Covenant's gonna show up in the book of Revelation. Okay, there's, we're getting ready to go into the actual throne room, not just the model on earth, but the actual one in chapter four. So come back. Uh, so you have the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant in there, but then you have the holy place. What was in the holy place? Let me say that slowly. What was in the holy place? There was furniture in there. What was in there? The, there was a table with bread on it. And what was on the other side? 
there was a lampstand, okay? And what do you know about that lampstand? What was it made of? Gold, because it's a model of heaven. What else do you know about the lampstand? Sorry? Okay, the constant light, okay? So that the priests could see what they were doing in there, not knock anything over and... What else do you know about that lamp? Y'all are seven. You're saying really good stuff. Gold, light, seven parts to it. What's the number seven symbolize? Come, sorry? Perfection, completeness. How come? Where does seven get that significance? Days of creation. Will y'all come up here and let me sit out there and listen to you? Uh, yes, all of that. Yes, it's God created everything in seven days. And what does he say about his creation? Very good. Very good. Okay. Uh, that lamp, light, gold, seven mm, distributors of that light. Okay. So when we get in here and talk about vision of Christ among the seven lamp stands, we're like, ah, I know what you're on to, John. You're reminding us that we're the light of the world. You're reminding us that we're a kingdom of priests who minister in the presence of God and know him. And we're, we're, our minds are blown because of who he is. And then we go out there and love people. We go out there and lay our lives down. We deal with our suffering redemptively because even though the breath is knocked out of us, our eyes from our position, our fetal position on the ground, at least our eyes are on you, Lord. And we know that there is a kingdom that isn't this way. That things on this earth are not the way they're supposed to be. We're not the way we're supposed to be, which is why we need the message of this book and have our eyes on this sovereign God. And John says, I'm with you in this, in the tribulation, in the kingdom. And what's the last word he says? Uh, Oh, yeah. What is it? Yeah. What kind of endurance? Yeah, there's an endurance. All right. I hate you. I hate you, too. And then there's a patient endurance. And those of you who endure patiently, personal inspiration to me, I find it very beautiful when you uh, endure things patiently. All right. Uh, John was in the spirit. This is an alien idea for us. I mean, this is like a prophetic trance. Uh, there, there are guys, Daniel, when he was in the spirit, like he's, he's like immobilized and spiritually carried, carried places. Paul says, I went to the, what was it? Third heaven. I can't even talk about it. He was in the spirit. This is not like, you know, your charismatic church waving our hands and swaying a little bit. This is like being taken over by the spirit. It's, it's not our familiar, you know, experience, but notice when it was on uh, in verse 10, when was he in the spirit? Yeah. You know what? Do you know that this is the first Use of that phrase, uh, not only in the Bible, but in the history of the church, took the second or third century before, you know, Sunday to be recognized as a day of worship. But John says it right here, Sunday. He calls it the Lord's Day. First mention of that in scripture. Uh, Here's this loud voice like a trumpet. uh, And the voice is commanding him to, uh, 
uh, write down and send it to the churches. And it, it, you may have heard it being a little repetitive, those of you who are slightly impatient in the reading of Scripture. But do you see the Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum? I mean, seven churches. It was kind of a relaxed horseshoe shape. Uh, very natural, like if we lived over there and we were, you know, driving to those seven churches, they're, they're in the order that we would go to them in. Now, uh, did we talk about seven? Oh yeah, we're talking about the lampstands. Do you see here that there's seven churches, right? Seven churches. Why did he pick seven and not six? Seven, this message is to the church, all right? The whole inclusive church. Now there's seven of them and they're all unique and we're going to see it. They all have strengths and weaknesses, but, but it's the people of God in the world. And that's who this message is to the whole book. All right. Not just these, uh, seven prophetic messages that we're heading toward in chapter two. So here's the voice is like a trumpet. Let me just stop for just a minute and say, do you pay attention to the voice of Christ when he speaks to you. It is so convicting to me uh, when I'm sitting there with my Bible in my lap doing this and looking at, you know, Facebook in the presence of the living God. I, I get convicted about that. And, I, you know, all right. He heard the voice. When you sit down with your Bible, you read the Gospels, you read the book of Psalms, you read the book of Revelation, you may not hear that voice like a trumpet, all right, which would startle you, you know, wake you up, uh, but, but listen for it. All right, so here's this voice like a trumpet, loud and clear, right? That's what a trumpet is, right? Loud and clear. What does a trumpet do? What's the purpose of blowing a trumpet in the Bible? Announce coming, pay attention, warning, judgment is coming, voice like a trumpet, all right? Judgment is coming. Uh, the king is coming, voice like a trumpet. Turned around to look at the voice. Y'all look at the, y'all look at the voice on TV, okay? He turned around to look at the voice, and uh, he turns around, and he sees seven golden lampstands, all right? This is going to, let's do the connect the dots. It's going to seven churches, huh? Turned around seven golden lamp stands. A lamp stand is like a microphone stand. A microphone stand doesn't do a whole lot other than hold a microphone. A lamp stand doesn't do a whole lot. Doesn't have a lot of value in its own. What does it do? It holds the lamp. All right. Individually, Jesus says, we're the light of the world. All right, don't, let, don't hide your light under a basket. Uh, let the light, this little light of mine, it's pretty little, it's pretty dim, it flickers, I have to, it goes out, I have to relight it. I'm gonna let it shine, okay? Shine through my face, okay? Some of you need to tell your face that your heart is happy. Uh, we, we're the light of the world, all right? City on a hill cannot be hidden. We're the light. He turns around, he sees these lampstands. That's what the church is supposed to do. Think about this. All right, I'm going to stop because we're out of time. But uh, all of this is, is reminding us, 
I'm just looking at cups and stains on the carpet. I'm just looking at y'all. Y'all are just ordinary people in our class. But friends, Jesus is here. We're his body. This place is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And we're exalting the king, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, the ancient of days. All right, so we're going to stop now. Uh, I don't want to, but it's just the way it is. And uh, I would encourage you, I have questions on the back of this sheet at the bottom. Read chapter one and answer these questions. What does this say about God? What does it say about Jesus? Use Use your imagination and see this vision of Christ and know, friends, I said I was going to stop. I guess I lied. Uh, I'm, this is my conclusion. Uh, y'all see those blow-up Santa Claus toys in front yards at Christmas time? And when it's a you know, really warm day, they get a little woozy, you know, and they kind of, kind of half collapse. And then after Christmas, the lazy guys, you know, they just leave them out there in a puddle in the front yard. This vision of this person ain't like that. Ain't like that at all. Greater than the Lincoln Memorial. Greater than Mount Rushmore. This is the living Christ who is going to speak a word of judgment and salvation. And it's designed. You just notice how John responded when he saw the vision. Just notice how he responded. And ask yourself, the last time you were, I was knocked down dead. Okay, people score touchdowns in in the last second of overtime. People go crazy. Okay, that's the kind of response that we're to have to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that when you're in there singing that song that you don't particularly like because the music's a little fast or too loud, forget about that. Think about Jesus. Worship him. Okay, so there's questions on the back. You can answer them. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I hope that... uh, the men and women in the room sense the depth of the riches uh, of the word of God, particularly when you, as we heard, cause it to come to life in our own minds and hearts through your Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that we can't see spiritual truth without him, but with him, we would pray that he would do his ministry in our minds, shine that spotlight on the mighty Lord Jesus Christ, that we would become men and women who have a greater hunger and regard for him. Lord, uh, until you return, uh, we offer our prayer expectantly in, in Jesus' name. Amen.